We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, this morning, I just pray for your blood. The blood of Jesus to cleanse this place. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sin. Our disobedience. Anything that causes you not to dwell among us. Lord, this morning we need you and we need you alone. We desire your presence. So, Lord, cleanse us and make us holy as you are holy. So that we can simply stand in the presence of God. So, Lord, we need you. So come. Bless your word as it is preached. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. This morning, as you're seated and as you take God's word this morning, we're going to be in the book of James. So if you have God's word, we're going to be in James chapter four, James chapter four. So turn there. And before we look at James chapter four, as we start a new year, one of the things we need to get back to is memorizing scripture. And of course, back at the first of fall, we started as a church memorizing the word of God together. And we started memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. And of course, Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And so we've just been doing two verses a week. And guess what? It's been compiling if you have been memorizing Scripture. And this morning, I want you to hear that Scripture spoken. So Brighton, come up. Brighton is one of our high school students. He's in one of our life groups. And they have been memorizing Matthew chapter 5. And so this morning, just so you know that you can do it, Brighton is going to quote Matthew chapter 5, and he's going to tell us what he's been learning. So go, Brighton. Tess, can you all hear me? There's a lot of people. All right. Uh, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Light. Light. You're the light. Light. Oh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand for all to see. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, 
it's hard. Like, I, 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 I had it in the car this morning. You can ask my mom. Okay. Where was I? For truly, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those, is that right? Okay, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, uh, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, uh, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of the fire. When you're at the altar and you're presenting your gift and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go. First be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift at the altar. I can't believe you said that. Oh, settle matters quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest he hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. For truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Um, is this the adultery part? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, for it is said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, for if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. For if your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one member than your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it out, for it is better for one of your members to be cut off than your whole body be thrown into hell. Amen. Anybody else want to try it? Anyone? Brighton did a great job. Amen. You can memorize scripture. You can. It is not easy. I know it's not easy. And I struggle with parts just like everybody else struggles with parts. But when we just memorize God's word and we hide it in our hearts, God will not only use it in our life and he will help keep us from sin through it, but he will also speak his word through us and he will use it to minister to others. So memorize God's word. Next week, the next two verses will be verses 31 and 32 there of Matthew chapter 5. And so next week, we'll just recite that together. But that was amazing. So this morning, as we start a new year, one of the things I truly believe God has laid on my heart for us as a church, and I believe for you as followers of Jesus Christ, is He is leading us to do another fast. Now back at Easter time last year, we as a church went on a seven-day fast together. And most of us who went on that fast, we just abstained for food for seven days. We didn't eat any food. We drank liquids, but no food for seven days. And I know that that wasn't easy. It was not easy for me. It's very difficult for me. But I truly believe that out of that fast, God worked through that. And He worked through the lives of our church. And He worked in this place. And we have seen prayers answered. And we've seen miracles performed. And God just used that in the life of our church. And so as we have started a new year, I truly believe that he is calling us to another fast. And so this morning, I want to talk about fasting. And then next week, we are going to start a fast together as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ. And this is not going to be a seven-day fast. I believe we need to do a 21-day fast. 
And so here's what we're going to do. From January the 19th, next Sunday, until February the 9th, we are going to fast together as a church for 21 days. And I understand when I say 21 days, you're thinking, oh Lord, I can't do that. Well, you can do it. Because if you couldn't do it, it wouldn't be in the Word of God. And guess what? It is in the Word of God. And you can do it. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So you can do this. And I'm going to outline today how you can do it. And I promise it is not as hard as you think it is. Now, it's still hard. I'm going to tell you it's not hard. It is hard. But you can do it. And I believe with all my heart, God will use this, not only in your life, but in the life of this church and the life of our community as God just flows out of this place. So what we're going to do from January the 19th, February 9th, we're going to fast. And then on February the 9th, the day we break the fast, we're going to gather together in this place. And we're going to gather together just one service. We're not going to have two services that morning. We're not going to have Bible study or anything else. Just one service. We will meet in here at 9 o'clock. And we will worship together. We will pray together. And we will just use the guideline of James 5 of how we will conduct that service. We will do exactly what James 5 tells us to do. We will pray for one another. We will pray for those who are sick. We will pray for those in need. And we will just ask God to work. And then we will break that fast by taking the Lord's Supper together. And we will have a wonderful day if we will just do what God's Word says. So this morning, I just want to share that with you. Every year, as we start a new year, one of the things I do as a pastor is I look for verses in the Bible that I can pray over you and pray over our church for the upcoming year. So I did that at the end of last year, 2019, for 2020. And God led me to these verses in the book of James. But as I was looking for those verses and I started praying these verses, God led them to me. One kind of thought just came in my mind and over my heart. And I just thought about this. I thought if there was just one thing, one thing that I could change about this church, what would it be? And as I sat there and as I prayed and as I read God's word, I thought about many things that I would like to change. One of those would just be that we as a church would be more evangelistic. That God would just convict us to share the gospel like we've never shared it. I wish that for our church, but that's not really what I pray for our church this year. I thought about, well, what if we were just more giving, not just of possessions, but giving of ourselves? What if we were more sacrificial? What if we were more devoted to the word of God? What if we were more loving? What if we were more united? All these things, biblical things, great things. But in my heart, really, if there was just one thing I could change about this church, the one thing I would change is this. I would change this place right in front of me. This altar. And I wouldn't change it physically. There's nothing wrong with it physically. This altar is just the lowest point in the room. And it's built that way specifically because it's the lowest point in the room. It's because it's where you can come and you can humble yourself before God. And you can get before Him. And you can meet with him. But what I would change about this. Is I would just ask God if he would make this altar just like the river of God. A place where you could come and you could dip your foot in and you could walk into the river of God's presence. And you know what happens when you walk into a river? What does the water do? It surrounds you, right? It encompasses you. It overwhelms you. And that's what I wish this place would be. Where you come to this altar and you step into the presence of God. And if you need healing, you can come get healing here. If you need forgiveness, you can come get forgiveness here. If you need comfort, you can come find comfort. If you need joy, if you need peace, whatever you need, you can come into the presence of God and His presence changes everything. That's what I would change. And as I thought about that, and as I prayed about that, God said this to me. He spoke this to me. He said, John, do you not realize that's what I desire as well? John, that's why I created you in the beginning. 
you realize God created us to be near us? Think about it. Adam and Eve, he created them. And then what did he do after creation? Every day in the cool of the morning, what did God do? He came and he walked with them and he talked with them. He was near them every day. But then one day he came and what did Adam and Eve do? They hid. Why? Because they sinned. And what were they hiding from? The presence of God. And ever since that day, what have we been doing? We've been hiding from the presence of God. And ever since that day, what has God been doing? Working to be near us. All through the Bible. Listen to Exodus 25, verse 8. This is what God says. God says, have the people of Israel build for me a holy sanctuary or a tabernacle so that I can dwell among them. That is the whole point of a sanctuary, a house of God, so that God can dwell among His people. Why did Jesus Christ come to this earth? Do you know why Jesus Christ came to this earth? So that God could be near us. That's why. Listen to what John says. John 1.14, So the Word, talking about Jesus, So the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. In John 1, that word dwelt is the exact same word in Exodus 25. It's tabernacle. Jesus Christ came to tabernacle with us, to be near us, to dwell with us. And when Jesus Christ came, He made a way for us to be with God and to dwell with Him forever. That's what He says in John 14, 23. And Jesus answered Him, and He said this, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with If you want to experience the presence of God in your life, if we want to experience the presence of God in this church, all we have to do is love Jesus Christ and keep His Word. And then the promise of God is that God will make His home with us. Not only in the past, not only in the present, but in the future. What is God going to do? Listen to Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Ever since the garden, all through history, all through redemption, what has God been redeeming us for so that he can dwell with us? That is what God has been doing. But I want you to listen to me. There is one thing about God that God will never do. God will never lower His standards. God will never compromise His holiness to be near you. He will not do it. Now that does not mean that God doesn't love you. That does not mean that God does not want to be near you. But He will not compromise. And when you are living in sin, and when you are living in rebellion and disobedience, God will not be near. He will not. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have moments of God's presence in your life. It doesn't mean that you have moments of God's power flow through your life. You will. But I'm talking about the everyday dwelling with God. Coming into a place like this and experiencing the manifest power and presence of God. It will not happen. Because God will not compromise. So this is what happens every week in places like this. 
in churches all across America, people come. And they worship, but who do they meet with? Themselves. They don't meet with God. They don't experience His presence. They don't see His power. And that has become the norm, right? Well, of course it has. That's not the way God intended it. What did God intend? Well, go read the book of Acts. That's what God intended. Jesus says, right before He goes up into heaven, He's going to do something. He's going to send His presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And what does He do? He does it. And then in Acts chapter 2, one sermon, one single sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ just by the preaching of His Word. Why? Because God's presence was there. The next chapter, the next day, John and Peter are going to the temple. A lame man there who's been lame. He hasn't walked since birth. He's begging at the temple because he needs food to eat. And he asks Peter and John for food. And they don't have any food. But they say, well, give you what they have. And they say, stand up and walk. And that lame man is healed. And he runs away from that temple, screaming and shouting and walking for the first time in his life. The next day, the next chapter, what happens? Thousands more come to faith in Jesus Christ. The next chapter, what happens? Persecution comes. That's what happens. But the church rejoices. Why? Because God works through the persecution. They start giving everything they have away. Why? Because they don't need the stuff the world offers. That's why. So they give it away and they meet the needs of the church. And guess what? More people come. And the church begins to spread. And it goes to places like Asia. It goes to places like Africa. It goes to Europe. It spreads all over. Demons are being cast out. Cities, whole cities are coming to Jesus Christ. And there is great joy in the city, according to Acts chapter 8. That's the way God intended it. But yet we come week after week. And we have ministries devoid of the Holy Spirit of God. We don't see what we saw in the book of Acts. People running from this place healed. We don't have thousands coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we hide from the presence of God. And God's heart. God's desire. Is to dwell with us. So this morning I want you to see that in his word. So if you have your Bible look there in James. James chapter 4. And I'm just going to read a couple verses. Look at verse 6. This is what the Bible says. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and this world. Now verse 7 there is a promise of God. But it's a promise with a condition. God says he will come close to you. He will draw near to you. But something has to take place before he will do that. What has to take place? Number one, you have to humble yourselves. You have to turn from your pride, turn from yourself. And you must desire God. You must draw near to him. That's what those verses say. If we will draw straw near to God, God will draw near to us. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think back over your life. And I want you to think about the times in your life where you were closest to God. Those moments where you knew God was there and you knew He was speaking to you and you cannot deny it. Those moments. 
for most of us, those moments occur in times of brokenness and heartache and loss. Right? They occur in times when we ain't got anywhere else to turn, so we turn to God. And we go to Him, and what does He do? Well, what His Word says, He meets us there, right? And He ministers to us, and He speaks to us. What I want you to understand is it doesn't take brokenness and heartache and loss and pain to be near God. That's not the way God intended it. But that's the only way God can get us near. So God has to work through that. Because we simply won't do what His Word says. God has given us a discipline in the Bible. The discipline of fasting. And if we will just do what God's Word says, we are humbling ourselves and drawing near to God. And guess what God will do? He will draw near to us because it is a promise from His Word. This morning, just real quickly, I just want to answer two questions. Why fasting? Why does the Bible tell us to fast? And how can you fast? Because I know you're worried about that. Because you don't know if you can do it. So what is fasting? Biblical fasting. Well, biblical fasting is just abstaining from food. That's what it means. In some cases, biblically, it's abstaining from drink. Jesus, when he started his ministry, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And you can't do this. This is a supernatural fast. But he did not eat. He did not drink anything for 40 days and 40 nights. But for us, his followers, fasting is just abstaining from food. And I know people will talk about this all the time. They'll say, well, why can't I just abstain from TV or media or social media, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can, but that's not fasting, okay? And I hope when we start our 21-day fast, you do that. Because you're distracted from God. And part of the reason we fast is to remove the distractions so that we can draw near to God. But literally, fasting in the Bible is putting your hand over your mouth. Why? So food can't go in. That's what fasting is. So biblical fasting is abstaining from food. So what you're doing is you're just denying this body. You're denying your flesh or your belly food. Why? To feed your spirit. Denying what your body needs, what your body craves, what your body wants. So that your spirit can realign with God's spirit. And they can connect. And you can be and walk in the presence of God. Now, Fasting is all through the Bible. It's mentioned over 75 times in the Bible. It's mentioned a lot more than the word baptism. We don't have a problem with baptism, right? Our name's Baptist. So why do we have a problem with fasting? Because we don't like fasting. Because we don't want to do fasting. But Moses fasted. Elijah fasted. Elisha fasted. King David fasted. Esther fasted. Anna in the New Testament, she fasted. Peter, Paul, they fasted. The early church fasted. Guess who else fasted? Jesus. Before he ever ministered on this earth, what did he do? He fasted. Why? Because he needed the power of God to flow through him. You don't believe it, go read Acts 10. And the reason Jesus tells us to fast is so that we can draw near to God. Now, I'm going to tell you, fasting is not a command in the Bible. It's not. But it is an expectation. In the Sermon on the Mount, what we're memorizing in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us just three expectations that he just expects his followers to do. He says, when you pray, pray this way. He says, when you give, give this way. And then he says, when you fast, fast this way. doesn't say if, he says when. And we don't have a problem with praying. We know we should all pray, right? 
Giving same way we know we should give. God's given everything to us. We should give back to Him. Don't have a problem with that. Well, Jesus says fasting is the exact same thing. When you do it, do it this way. Not if you do it, but when you do it. All the time, I do weddings. And every time I do a wedding in this place or wherever, and I pronounce a man and woman, husband and wife, do you know what? I don't have to give them a command to go live with one another under one roof, right? That's just my expectation. They're going to do that. That's why you get married. Well, the same is true for fasting. Jesus doesn't have to command you to fast. He just expects you to do it. Why? Because that is the discipline where you humble yourself and where you draw near or come close to God. That's what it is. Listen to what he says in the book of Matthew. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, this is what he says. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except the Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. So when you fast, fast this way. So why does the Bible tell us that we should fast from food? Well, here's why. You've got to go all the way back to the garden. And you have to go all the way back to the creation. And when Jesus created us, the Bible says that in John 1, He created everything. When Jesus created us, He created us in His image, in the image of God. And we know God is a triune God. God reveals Himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, guess how you were made? You were made as a trinity. You were made spirit, soul, and body. That's how God made you. And God aligned you so that your spirit would guide your soul. That's just your emotions, your feelings. And it would guide your body. That's your flesh. That's what we see when we see each other. Your spirit is to lead. But what happened when Adam and Eve ate that fruit? What did they feed? Their spirit? No, they fed what? Their body, their belly. And ever since that day, God's creation has been flipped upside down. And what leads us now? Our spirit? No, our body, right? That's why we're gluttons. You are a glutton, whether you know it or not. You're self-indulgent. That's the society we live in, right? Our society tells us, if you want it, go get it. Work hard for it. If you can't work hard for it, just take it. That's what our society tells us. Get anything you want and you can have it. Feed your belly. Feed your appetite. That's why we're greedy. That's why we're lustful. That's who we are, right? Because our belly, our flesh, leads us. Well, what is fasting doing? Fasting is denying the flesh and feeding the spirit so that you get aligned the way God created you so that your spirit will lead you rather than your gut leading you. That's why we fast from food. That's why it's not fasting if you fast from social media or television or whatever else people sell you to fast from. You have to abstain from food. Deny the flesh to feed the spirit. So this morning I want to tell you how I believe you can do that for 21 days. And it is a biblical way to do that. Because I know earlier when I said 21 days in your mind you're thinking, oh my gosh, I couldn't even do 7 days. How in the world am I going to do 21 days? This is how you can do it. The fast that I'm encouraging you to do over the next 21 days, starting next Sunday, is a Daniel fast from the book of Daniel. 
And in Daniel chapter 1, we see what Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they fasted from. And we see how they fasted. Now, most of you know the story of Daniel. He was a young man, a teenager, when Babylon came and besieged his home, Jerusalem. And King, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took some of the prize, the choice young men, back from Jerusalem to his palace. Four of those were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. He wanted to train them in the Babylonian ways so that later in their life, and when they grow up, they could serve him. So what he did is he was very good to them. He brought them into his home, into his palace, and he fed them from the king's table. Now, for you and me, that would have looked good. It would have been rich, delicious food. But for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was against the word of God. So they abstained. They said, no, we can't do that. And the guard that was guarding them, the person that was over them, they went to him and they said, hey, can we not eat this food from the king's table? And he said, no, I can't do that. I'll get killed if I disobey the king. And he said, just do this, test us. And Daniel says, for ten days, give us nothing but vegetables and water. That's what your Bible says. But the word there in Hebrew is zeroim. And the word means from seed. That's what the word means. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for ten days ate things from seed. So they ate fruits, they ate vegetables, they ate nuts, they ate whole grains, things like that. Anything from seed, and they drank water. And then the Bible says at the end of the ten days, they were tested. And they looked better than all the other young men who had been eating from the king's table. And God gave them favor in King Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. And they rose to high prominent positions, and they served God as they worked for the king. Why? Because they obeyed God's word. And so that's what we're going to do as a church. Just what they did for 10 days. But we're not going to do it for 10 days. We're going to do it for 21. You say, why are we doing it for 21 days? We'll go read Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's older by this point in his life. Much older. And he is listening for a word from God. And so what he does to hear a word from God is he does the same thing he does in Daniel chapter 1 except this time he does it for 21 days. He abstains from those rich foods. And he eats zeroim from seed for 21 days. And then what did God do? God spoke to him a word. And that's why we're fasting for 21 days. We're asking for a word from God. And so for 21 days, you can eat if it's from seed. Now, I'm not going to tell you this is not hard. Because it's hard. I like ribeye steak. I like pork chops. I like meat. I like things from animals. But guess what? Those are not from seed, right? So you're going to have to eat fruits and vegetables and nuts and whole grain. And you can drink all the water you want to drink. But you can't drink a Diet Coke. You can't drink a glass of sweet tea. You can't have a warm chocolate chip cookie and a nice cold glass of milk. Now you're going to want it. You're going to really want it after about day 10. But I'm here to tell you that for 21 days you can do this and you will not die. Now you might think you're dying, but you will not die. And listen to me, you're probably, when you're coming off all the junk you eat and all the toxins are coming out of your body, you're probably going to have some headaches. You might even be lightheaded and dizzy. Big deal, suck it up. I mean, I don't care, it's not going to kill you. I'm just telling you, it will not kill you. I live dizzy every day of my life. I have vertigo. It will not kill you. I promise you. You can make it through. So just fight through. Because Satan is going to try to stop you. He is going to try to stop you. I promise. And he's going to say things like this. He's going to say, 
that preacher's an idiot. And you're going to believe him. Now, I might be an idiot. That might be true. But I'm telling you right now, this is not idiotic because this is the Word of God. But he's going to tell you, you can't do this. But you can. And yes, you're going to be hungry. But what should that hunger do? Drive you to the Father. That's what it should do. You're probably going to have bad breath the next 21 days. Guess what? you got bad breath now. So it doesn't matter, right? You can do this. I promise. And if you will resolve in your heart to do what God's Word says, and if you love Him, what's He going to do? Well, Jesus says in John 14, James says in James 4, that He will dwell with you. He will minister to you. He will speak to you. And He will minister through this church. And His presence will dwell among us. Why? Because when we do what His Word says, He doesn't have to compromise to be among us. Because we're obedient to Him. And we're following His way. We're following His way. Now, Some of you with families may be asking the question, well, what about my kids? And I understand that kids have different nutritional requirements and it's just different. But here's what I believe your kids can do. They can fast. Maybe not the exact way you're fasting, but they can fast. They can abstain from sugar. They don't have to have all the junk food that they eat. The potato chips and all the garbage that they put in their body. And you know what? They're not going to like it. I promise you, they're not going to like it. Because they crave that sugar. And guess what else? They're addicted to that sugar, just like most of you are. And they're going to come off of that. And they're going to be ill, just like you're ill. So y'all be ill together. But point them to God when they're craving that sugar. Just like when you're hungry and you want sugar or something else, a big steak, it should point you to God. Now hopefully last week you got a guide emailed to you. And this is just a booklet that we have kind of put together just to tell you things you really can't eat. We don't tell you the things you can't eat because if it's not in here, you can't eat it. But there's recipes in here and there's just some helpful hints of what you can do and how you can do it as we fast together for 21 days. So if you don't have one of these, we'll get one to you. We have some back at the welcome desk or we can email it to you if you just let the church office know. But you can fast. Here's the most important part for me of the fast. Because a fast, yes, always has to do with the physical. But you cannot limit it to that. Because if you just limit to that, all you're doing is dieting. A true fast is spiritual. And over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the spiritual components of fasting. Three components. Number one, you need to be listening for God. That's why we're doing this. To hear the voice of God. God is speaking. Rarely are we listening. But God is always speaking. We're so distracted from this world that we never hear Him. But God is speaking and we are fasting to hear Him. One phrase that Jesus says more than anything in the New Testament. He says this. Anyone with ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying. He says it over and over in the Gospels. And in Revelation He says it seven times. Anyone with ears to hear. What fasting does is it opens your ears. So you need to listen. Number two is you need to feed on the Word of God. When you don't have food to feed on, feed on the Word of God. 
Here's what I'm going to do over 21 days. I would encourage you to do this. I'm going to read through the New Testament in 21 days. Okay, I know that sounds, again, like a lot, but it's really not a lot. That is 12 and a half chapters a day. That's all it is. So here's how I'm going to break it down. You eat three times a day, most of you, right? So just break it down into meals. Four chapters every time you eat over the next 21 days. And if you do that, you will read through the New Testament in 21 days. You will feed on the Word of God. What does Jesus say in John chapter 6? He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Why does he say that? Because it's truth. So feed on the bread of life. Feed on the word of God and read the New Testament. And then the final thing is you need to pray. When you are hungry, what should you do? Pray. Next week, that's all we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about prayer as we fast. And how we should pray why we should pray and what we should pray for. So you do those three things. And as you fast, God will meet with you. In just a few weeks, we're going to get to Luke chapter 15 as we go through the book of Luke together on Sunday morning. And in Luke 15, that is where we see the story of the prodigal son. But I hope you realize the story of the prodigal son is really not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of you and me. It's a story about our pride, our lust, our rebellion. Because we know what the prodigal son does. He wants his inheritance. He wants what he's owed, or so he thinks. But his dad just won't die. So he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me my money. That's what he says. And for whatever reason, I don't understand, the dad gives him his money, gives him his inheritance, and then the prodigal son goes to the distant land. And the Bible says he wastes all that money on wild living. And it even gives some examples of the wild living. He spends all of his money, and then the Bible says, in the far country, the distant land, a famine comes. He has no food, he has no drink, he has no money, he has no hope. He finds a farmer, a pig farmer, and he says, can you give me a job? And he gives him his job, but he doesn't give enough money with a job to buy food. So he sees the food that he's feeding the pigs, and he wants to eat it, and he does. He eats the pig pods. But then the Bible says he comes to his senses. And do you know why he comes to his senses? Because he's hungry. Listen to what verse 17 says, Luke 15. But when he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will rise and go to my father. Listen, I'm telling you that if you do this fast over the next 21 days, guess what? You're going to be hungry. You are. But what should that hunger do? It should make you come to your senses so that you will rise and go to your Father. That's what it should do. That's what James 4 says. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's what the Bible says. So the only question that's left is will you do what God's Word says? 
Will you do what Jesus says in John 14? Will you love me and will you obey my word? If you do that, he will come. He will come. Because that's a promise of God. Bow with me, Lord. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the promises of Scripture. And Lord, I thank you that those promises will never fail, ever. So Lord, I pray for every person in this room. I pray that you would take away all the doubt and all the fear and all the questions. And you would just replace that with strength and with faith and with obedience. And you would help your people. You would help your church. to Just simply obey your word. So Lord, I pray for these next 21 days as we start next week. That you would just overwhelm us with you. And Lord, I pray that it would not only change our lives forever. But it would change this place forever. As you pour out your presence. So Lord, just minister as we close in this place. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we close, we're just going to close with a chance for you to respond to God. And maybe this morning what that means for you is you just want to resolve in your heart to do what God's Word says. And if you want to come to this altar and get low before God and humble yourself before God and pray that God would strengthen you and bless you and He would help you through this fast, come do that. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray for something else. Come to this altar and pray for something else. And meet God here. Maybe this morning you're here and you know you need Jesus Christ. Maybe you know the reason God does not dwell with you is because you don't know Jesus. And you cannot come to God apart from Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. If you need Jesus Christ, come to this altar. We'll tell you about him. Maybe you just need prayer this morning or you need something else. If that's you, if you will come, we will pray for you and help you any way we can. So this morning, would you just stand to your feet? Would you worship and would you respond to God? Just as I am.